It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. Lord, each of us has come to this place because we need you. And there's a hunger that you've put in our hearts. Lord, there are many places we could be tonight. But we've chosen by the call of your spirit to be in this house to hear your word. And so I ask, Lord, that your word would come forth with power and with authority and with mercy. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. The message the Lord has given me tonight is rescue. Rescue. Do you need to be rescued? Is there a sense in your spirit, in your heart, that you need to be rescued? Jesus specializes in rescue operations. The name Jesus means he rescues, he saves. That's his name. And it's a name that is above all other names. So when we come into the house of the Lord, expect tonight to get rescued. That what's going to happen in this place tonight will bring rescue to your soul. We don't always like the way we're rescued. Some of us don't like getting lifted off the mountaintop in a swinging cage beneath a helicopter. Some of us don't like to be shoved under the water as a rope is tied around us to pull us out. Rescue is not always clean and neat and pretty. Sometimes it's triage. So when you say tonight, I want to be rescued, be ready for it to be down and dirty not sweet and clean. Very seldom have I seen the Holy Spirit do something that's neat and clean. Almost always when the Holy Spirit comes, it's messy. He just doesn't conform to our expectations of how it's supposed to happen. But in the end, joy rises up in our hearts and we rest secure knowing he's done it. There are several parables in the scriptures, and we're going to look at those tonight. They're about rescue. Go with me to the book of Luke. Jesus is preaching. I always like it when the scriptures give us sermons or bits of sermons that Jesus was preaching. That's a model for us. Luke 14 Verse 25, there are large crowds and they're traveling with Jesus and they're continually listening to him and and now he begins to preach. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And I'm sure I can see people turning and looking at each other and saying, I like his healing. I don't like that word. What's he mean? What's this business about I have to hate you, honey? Anybody who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I can hear him saying, wait a minute. I'm not going to carry a cross. 
I came because you're the Messiah and I expect to drive a Mercedes. If I'm going to come and follow you, Jesus, then you prosper me. You make me look good. You take away all my suffering. You take away all my pain. You clean me up in a way that I approve of, in a way that makes me look good and doesn't make me look dumb. Today, after the radio broadcast, Pastor Jan was in tears. She was saying, I I brought shame to the name of Jesus. I I didn't do it right. I made mistakes in what I said. I want to tell you, when I walk away from preaching, if I walk away from this pulpit tonight after this message has been given, and I say, wow, I did it tonight. I hit a home run tonight. I gave him the word and I was clean and I was smooth and I was sharp and I did it the way I always want to do it. You know what? I know that I might as well just write that whole sermon off. Because it's been all flesh. God only uses broken vessels. He has enough smooth-tongued people preaching lies people who won't address the dirty and the down and the, and the broken. So I told her, be of great cheer. Because what you gave today is something God can use. You didn't like it. God loved it. When we come to the Lord, he begins to speak to us these straight words about taking up your cross and following him. So you're a disciple. Well, then he goes on. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. I would just ask you tonight, have any of you sat down with pen and pencil, paper, calculator, And figured out how much it's going to cost you to follow Jesus Christ. And are you willing to pay that price? Jesus is saying, you better do that. Do you have enough money in your bank of heaven to pay all the way to the kingdom of God? Are you willing to pay the price to be a Christian? Do you know what the price is? The Lord said the price is you're going to have to hate your mother and your father, your children, your brothers and your sisters. You know what the word hate here means. It means indifferent to compared to your love for Jesus Christ. It's saying that your love for Jesus Christ has to be above and beyond any love you have for another human being. And you will walk in obedience to Jesus no matter what other people say. Even if they cut their relationship with you, you will follow Jesus. Have you calculated those costs yet? I mean, have you just sat down and figured out, is this going to cost me my relationship with my dad? Is this going to cost me my relationship with my girlfriend or my boyfriend? Is this going to cost me my relationship at work? What's this thing going to cost me if I really follow Jesus? 
You need to figure that out before you start the journey or people are going to shame the name of Jesus because you started, but you weren't willing to finish. This is how Jesus was preaching to these people. Well, as he's preaching, he's saying things like verse 34, Luke 14, verse 34, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's just thrown out. So he's saying, look, if you come and follow me, and then you begin to compromise, and you begin to play games with me, you're not even good enough to be thrown in the manure pile. Because manure will at least be spread on the ground and raise a good crop. You won't even fertilize the soil. You're just thrown out where people walk over you. I mean, he's saying these kinds of things. And the priests, the the Pharisees, the scribes, they're not liking this preaching at all. You know who's liking it? The sinners. The prostitutes. The people who know life as it really is. Who aren't out there playing games. These are the people who say, hey, this man's talking straight. I like this kind of talk. The unvarnished, raw conversation. They like this. They say, this man is for real. He's teaching with authority. Not like the scribes who say, well, it could mean this, but it could also mean this. As this conversation is going on among the gathered Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus begins to tell them a very simple parable. Chapter 15, verse 3. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinner. I came for the sick. That's why I ask you tonight at the beginning, do you need to be rescued? If you answer, no, I don't need to be rescued, pastor, then you're in the wrong place. There's nothing here for you because all there is here is rescue. See, Jesus' name says Jesus saves. He saves. He rescues. If you don't need saving and you don't need rescuing because you're already saved, then you don't need Jesus. If your place is secure, you don't need Jesus. You're covered. And now you're free to live your life any way you choose. Unconditional love covers you. You've got it made in the shade. And you're in the Broadway church. Here it's about rescue. It's about being saved daily. It's about justification and sanctification happening on a daily, ongoing basis as I become more and more like Jesus, as his glory is more and more revealed in my life. Now, I have to confess tonight, there's a great sorrow in my heart 
Because when you look at me, you're not shielding your face and saying, oh, pastor, cover your face with a veil. We can't stand to look at you. No, you can look at me very comfortably. You know what that says? It says I haven't spent enough time with Jesus yet. I mean, Moses, he went up into the cloud of God's glory. And he came down and he reflected that glory. And the people said, Moses, cover your face. We can't stand to look at the glory of God. So anyone who says to me, oh, pastor, I've got it made. I'm saved. And I can look in their face. I know they're lying to me. Because the glory of God is not flowing forth from their face and their life. Darkness is flowing from their face and their life. I'm not going to be content until I no longer see through a glass darkly. I want to see him face to face. I want the glory of the Lord Jesus. The glory of the new covenant is greater than that of the old covenant. I want that glory to be shining forth from my face with such authority and such power that you have to say, cover your face, pastor. I can't stand to look at you. I want a brilliance of God to fill this house. I want to look out at a congregation who's being drawn more and more into the heart of Jesus Christ so that when I look at you, I have to say, turn the lights out. Glory of God is in this house. I want there to be fire over the roof so that people driving 95 come off to see the great fire. I want them to send the fire trucks saying, where's the fire? Because the glory of God is hovering over the house. Now we've got something to talk about. Until that happens, I need rescuing. I need saved. Now watch. Verse 8, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? Well, I can't relate to losing a silver coin in the house because if I lose a quarter, I don't worry about it. But I tell you, I can relate to losing my keys. You know, I need a string tied to my keys around my neck. I'm always losing my keys, saying, where did I leave my keys? It's come to the place, I don't want to even say those words to Jan, because I know she's going to drop everything she's doing and begin to search the house, turning it upside down, taking the couch cushions out. I mean, she's found them in the strangest places. Now, I tell you, When you lose your keys, you want now to have those keys returned. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now we come to this parable that we all are so familiar with. The parable of the prodigal. And I just have a sense tonight that there are some of you here who are being tempted to write out the history of the prodigal in your own life. Or else you've already written it out. Of all of the people in the scriptures, my favorite character is the prodigal son. The prodigal son says to his dad, look, dad, this is just who I am. You're going to have to accept this is who I am. 
And I don't like this farm life. And I don't like getting up with the dawn and taking care of the livestock. I want to sleep in in the morning. And I don't like all the rules in this house. You know, there are a lot of places I could go where I'd be a lot happier than I am here. And after all, what's important is that I'm happy and have my way. He has no sense of of purpose in helping the family accomplish its goals. Instead, he, he wants what he wants. Now, that's a prodigal in the making. And if you're a prodigal in the making tonight, take warning. Listen to where the prodigal goes and what the prodigal does. And listen to what the ending of the prodigal's life is. Prodigals always end up in the same place, the pig pen. Some of you tonight are headed toward the pig pen. Some of you, by the grace of God, are on your way out of the pig pen. And some of you, by the grace of God, are back at home and you're very mature. You don't want to go back to the pig pen. Let's walk through this. Look what happens. The younger son, verse 13 got together everything he had, and he set off for a distant country. I don't know why, but it's always the distant country that allures us human beings. We always think it's going to be better over on the other side of the hill. This pioneering spirit in we who are Americans just rises up and says, I've just got to have a new place to live. I don't know why, I've just got to have a new place. I don't know why I need a new car. I'm just tired of this car. I need a new car. And I don't know why I need these new clothes. I just need new clothes so I'll feel better about myself. And I just need something new. I'm bored. The distant country. There he squandered his wealth in wild living. As I was praying through this parable, which I've taught so many times, the Lord began to say some things to me that were different. He said to me, he said, many of my people, many of my children have rebelled against me. And they have gone to that far country. But when they got there, they were very careful with their money and they didn't squander it. Instead, they got a job. And they bought a nice house. And they've made a comfortable life for themselves in the far country. And they found even some churches in the far country they could attend. And those, those churches in the far country said to them, hey, don't worry, your daddy still loves you. Don't worry, your daddy still loves you. You're still his son. You're always going to be his son. So whether you're at home walking in obedience to him or whether you're in the far country, he still loves you. He's unconditionally loving you. Now, I need to say this very quickly. There is an unconditional love of God. One of you kindly pointed that out to me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God loves even those who go to hell. But that love of God that he has does not prevent him from sending those people to hell. And the Bible refers to this as the strange work of God. 
Sending people to hell is not the normal work of God. It's a strange work of God. It's something that breaks his heart. So now we've got churches in the, in the far country. Man, you can, you can buy concert tickets to come in their sanctuary and watch the concert. I mean, they have big name speakers come through. Pay your 25 bucks and you get to listen. I mean, they say God loves you and he wants you to prosper in this land. He wants you just to settle down here. Now, let's get it real sharp and real clean. The Lord comes and he says to you, I want you to sacrifice for me. And I want you to pick up this ministry for the kingdom of God. And the man living in the far country who's made a name for himself and who's established in the far country says, oh, but master, I'm too busy over here in this far country taking care of my business. I don't have time to do that for you, Jesus. All of my time is consumed taking care of my my wife and my children and my family and my business and my money and my things and my, my toys. I don't have time. I'm overloaded already. How can I expect to give one more sent to you. How can I be expected to give one more minute to you? I don't have any more to give you. I'm working for the pig farmer. Now you recognize that everybody who worked for the pig farmer didn't work in the pigsty. He also had some accountants. He also had some salespeople. He had some butchers. He had people who did all kinds of things. Now, please hear me. There is a a clarity that we need to come to. All of us have to live in the far land right now. We're going away from the parable. All of us live in the far land right now. And we are looking for the coming of Jesus to rescue us. We are looking for Jesus to take us out of this earth of wicked darkness, out of this pigsty, And we're looking for him to take us to heaven. All of us are looking for that. That's why we're here. We're saying, Jesus, rescue me. Take me home with you. But now while we're in this place, what will tell you whether or not you are fitting into this prodigal who is not walking with the Lord is if you have no time for the Lord. You have no energy for the Lord. You have no money for the Lord. All you have is enough time and money for your own life in the far city. And then you go to the Lord and take. You don't give. Then know that you're a prodigal. And you're in grave danger. Now let's come back to the story. This prodigal comes. And he begins to live out all of his wildest fantasies. And he has the money to finance them. I can tell you the first thing I'd do, I'd go over to the Chevrolet dealer and I'd buy myself a beautiful red Corvette. Convertible. Now, maybe I'd go get a Lamborghini. No, a Ferrari. I love cars. I love fast cars. Then I'd have to have the right address. What would you do? 
How would you begin to live out your wildest fantasies? I want to tell you, even your most holy dreams are pig fantasies if they are not given to you by Jesus Christ. Some people fantasize, I want to be I want to be rich when I grow up. I want to have money. And then they say to me, and pastor, you know why I want money? So I can give more money to the church. And some say to me, I keep buying the lotto ticket, pastor, because when I hit it rich, I'm going to give the church half of it. And I always say back to them, no, don't bother. Keep it all. You'll need it. We won't be accepting that at church. Now, do you understand? When we walk in Jesus Christ, we are subject to what he desires for us. So you see, we've got a a basic issue right here. Some of you want to be prodigals. Some of you young people particularly. You think, well, wouldn't it be good to get away from mom and dad? No, wouldn't be. Because when you get to that place, you're going to find another mom and dad. And some of those mom and dads aren't near as nice as your mom and dad are now. So your rebellious heart rises up and it's always saying, I don't want to be under this authority. I don't want to be under this authority. And then you get to be 20 and you're saying, I don't want to be under this authority, but I want the money. Okay, I'll go work for you, Mr. Bank. You mean I have to be there on time and I have to wear a tie and I have to stand all day at that teller cage? I don't like that. So at every stage, you get a mom and daddy. You're under authority. And I've seen some people 60 years old, 70 years old, they're still rebelling against mom and daddy. Still rebelling. They never got it. That there is an authority. And the authority is Jesus Christ. And we're always going to be kicking against those authority people in our life until finally we make peace with Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm going to walk under your authority. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. I'm going to walk holy before everyone because I will follow you. So here's this prodigal son. He finally runs out of his Lamborghini or his Mercedes. He runs out of his house money. He runs out of everything. And wouldn't you know there's a severe famine in the land? God always has a way of sending these severe famines. I hope you heard me. God will send into your life a severe famine. If you think you do not need to be rescued and you've got it made fat and happy in the far city, I pray God will send you a famine. Now, the whole country begins to be in need. America is about to be sent a famine. And the whole country is going to become in need. Already the drum beat. The drumbeat is in the news media. 
terrorist attacks are coming. Expect them this summer. Hey, we live in Washington, D.C. We live in the bullseye. What happens when they blow off the chemical bomb or the biological bomb or the dirty bomb? What's going to happen when the heart of D.C. is totally contaminated? Thousands of people are dying. What are you going to do then? He went and hired himself to one of the citizens, and he began to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, you understand, this young man finally has come to a place where he's so hungry for mama's cooking that he's willing to even eat pig slop. But the pigs get at it before he can get at it. I mean, that's as low as you go. An interesting experiment would be to walk out of this place tonight, leave your keys here, leave your money here, leave your credit cards here. Walk out the door tonight. Now, where would you go? can't call anybody. You're on your own. Would you sleep back behind the church somewhere? Where would you go? And what would you eat? How many times I've seen people going down through the garbage cans, even the one out here in front of the church? pulling out all the garbage, looking for a piece of a sandwich or part of an apple just to get a bite of food in their stomach because they haven't eaten for a day or two days. What Jesus is saying here is this prodigal suddenly came to the point where he was totally at an end to himself. He even wanted to eat the pig's food, but couldn't get at it before the pigs got at it. He was on the bottom. He had nothing. Please understand, God brought him to that place. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place where we're willing to eat anything that's offered to us. That's when he steps in and begins to save. See, a young man can live at home. He can eat mama's cooking. He can enjoy dad's air conditioning. He can enjoy the clothing given by mom and dad. And he can be rebellious against mom and dad. And think that it's his right to live in this house. And it's his right to have this this clothing. And it's his right to eat this food. Well, who made it his right? It's not a right, it's a privilege. He's living in that house by grace. And he can be kicked out. You know what? I'm living in my house tonight by grace. And circumstances could arrange themselves such that I would have to move out. I would bet that not one of you in this house, in this church tonight is living in a house 
that you could not be forced to move out of if certain circumstances took place. You own your own house? Or does the bank own your house? Or do you rent your house? Oh, you own it and it's paid for. What do you do about the high taxes? They're due regularly. People in Argentina tonight, who two or three years ago were living in middle-class luxury, American-style luxury, now are picking for food in the dumps because their economy crashed. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is it's a false belief to think that our wonderful lifestyle is our right and that it's always going to continue the way we have enjoyed it. That's a myth. It's not our right. Just because we're Americans doesn't mean we deserve to live better than the rest of the world lives. And the Lord God of heaven is coming and he's wanting to move in our hearts in such a way that we'll let go of these false illusions and begin to recognize that only Jesus can rescue us. Only Jesus can save us. Only Jesus has authority and power. He is the creator God. He rules over our circumstances. He rules over our finances. He rules over our health. He rules over every part of our being. And he can arrange those circumstances as he desires to arrange them. And I pray tonight that he does not need to arrange your circumstances such that your pain level skyrockets. So we read that this young man finally comes to his senses. Verse chapter 15, verse 17, when he came to his senses. See, this is the issue. Will I come to my senses? And how far will I push into the far country before I come to my senses? How much of a crisis do I need to create before I'll come to my senses? How much bitterness and anger do I have to create with those I love before I come to my senses? He says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned. Sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Now, there are a couple things I just need to say quickly to you about this theologically. The father did not come to the pigsty to find him. He had to leave the pigsty and go look for the father. You see, if if God had unconditional love, he should have gone and camped out in the pigsty with this young man. But he didn't camp out in the pigsty with him. Instead, he left him there on his own, suffering, hungry, naked, until he came to his senses. 
I want to tell you, we fawn altogether too much over sinners. We make it much too pleasant and much too easy for them. We lie to them. We say, oh, God loves you. Oh, God loves you. He's forgiven you for your sins. Come and accept this wonderful free gift. No. Mr. Evangelist didn't climb into that pig pen. That young man had to suffer until he came to his senses. And then he headed for home. The scriptures say if we will draw close to God, God will draw close to us. It does not say God will draw close to you and then you'll draw close to God. God knows our hearts. It doesn't work that way. How many of you remember when you were kids? You saw that pretty girl. And man, you went after her gung-ho. And the more you went after her, the more she said, I don't want you. And then guys get real smart real fast. They play it cool. They let her do the choosing. They let her do the chasing. Hmm? God loves us with such an everlasting love. And he calls after us with gentle kindness. But he also comes with incredible, devastation to wake us up, to bring us to our senses. It's called judgment under repentance. Now here's this young man. He's come to his senses and he's headed home. As he's coming home, while he's still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, we've been saying this so many times at the National Prayer Chapel. If you will just take a few steps toward God, he'll come and meet you. If you'll take those radical steps of obedience toward God, he'll come and meet you. But if you're determined to follow your own agenda if you're determined to have it your way, if you're determined that it's going to be according to your plan, then God will stay afar off and he'll let you suffer until you come to your senses. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. That's what God says when we begin to take steps back toward him and let go of our own agendas. But now I want to watch very carefully what the father says. I want to give you the argument. The argument for the once saved, always saved is this. This young man was the son of a father. He lived in the house of the father. He was loved by the father. This young man rebelled. He left the father's house. Was he still a son? 
Yes. He's still a son, but he's dead. He's dead. In other words, when he's living in the pig pen, is he still his father's son? Yes, but he's dead. He's a dead son. He's a buried son. He's a son who is in the tomb. Now you ask, Pastor, how can you say that? I'm not saying it. Listen to what the word is saying. I'll read it for you. This is what the word says. We find this in Luke, the 15th chapter, verse 24. For this son of mine was dead. Nikro. The Greek word used here means the death of a corpse. It means that this is not a living soul. It's a corpse. It is dead. For this son of mine was dead. He was a corpse. And is alive again. Alive again literally means to be brought back to life. To have life breathe in. He was lost and is found. Some once saved, always saved believers, like Charles Stanley says in his book on grace, he was lost, meaning he was geographically lost. That's not the Greek word being used here. The Greek word being used here for he was lost is literally the word to perish. To perish. So he's saying, this father is saying, my son was a corpse. He was dead to me. Now, why didn't the father go looking for his son? Because his son was dead. His son was dead. There was nothing to look for. He was gone. And every day the father grieved the death of his son. Now, I want you to see this. The prodigal son doesn't just end up in the pigsty. The prodigal son dies. He dies. He's dead. He perished. And then he was found. Or literally, he was recovered. He was recovered from a corpse-like condition, and he was brought back to life. He was resurrected. So they began to celebrate. So the picture we get is this man went and lived in the far country, and he died. He was totally severed from his father. There was no relationship And then when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go back home. And when he went back home, he was given life again. He was resurrected. Now, here's the problem that I'm struggling with right now with this congregation and with the congregation in Washington, D.C., 
is that most who are listening to the broadcast and many of you have gone to that far country and set up a pleasant deal there. And you haven't come to an end of yourself yet. And you see no need to come to your senses because your deal's basically working for you. And so that means there's a casualness in your spirit toward the Lord God of heaven. And there's no need to come to your senses and leave that house because you're getting enough city food. And you don't want farm life. You don't want the discipline of the farm life. You want the comfort of the city life. And so in the city life, you're enjoying all the the drama and the action and the theater and this and that. And then once in a while, you can show up in church. But to find a people who will band together and who will begin to pray in earnest for the city of Washington, D.C., who will sacrifice everything for the sake of the cross, who recognize that this city is going to die, literally, if God doesn't reach out and rescue us that God's judgments are about to be poured out on this city, not just spiritually, but physically, to have a people who will come to their senses, who will recognize that, who will flee to the foot of the cross, and who will give up everything to follow Jesus. Now that's what God's calling for. Where we no longer live in the comfort of the world, in the city of the world, but instead we follow Jesus. And now we begin a process, a disciplined process where the Lord takes over our schedule. The Lord takes over our money. The Lord takes over every friendship. The Lord begins to take over what we say and what we don't say. The Lord begins to step in and tell us, do this and don't do that. Go here and don't go there. He begins to discipline us. He begins to bind our hearts together with other believers. And we begin to pray together. We begin to confess sin one to another. We begin to fellowship one with another, not just casually in the formality of a worship service, but we begin to connect organically one with another. We begin to take time to pray and talk, not about the world, about Jesus. Do you have a circle of people in your life that when you're with them, all they want to talk about is Jesus? Do you have a circle of people in your life where you can know that the first topic of conversation and the last topic of conversation is going to be the disciplined life in Jesus Christ? Not some place where there's a lot of froth and fill and hype. Not sweet Jesus, not, not Broadway stuff, but narrow road stuff where you rejoice in the certainty that you're a part of the body of Christ. Do you have that in your life? Do you need to be rescued? You recognize what I'm saying means that you have to change your schedule. It means you have to let go of certain activities. It means certain hobbies you no longer have time for. I said to Jan, I was sitting over at Borders 
just this last week, and we were studying, doing preparation, pulling all the resource books out, looking at this once saved, always saved. And finally, I needed a break, and there was a magazine there on kayaking. And of course, I had to pick it up and begin to leaf through it. And then finally, I just laid it down on the table, and I said, Jan, you know what? I can't even look at that. If I had my way, every week I'd be out on the water kayaking. I mean, don't I have a right to just take a break? There's nothing wrong with kayaking or biking. It's good for your health. But you know what the Lord has me doing instead? He has me walking through my neighborhood praying for everybody. And he's saying, you exercise while you pray. And I'm saying, Lord, these people think I've lost my marbles. Walk through the neighborhood with your arms up praying. They think somebody's sticking the place up. (laughs) Do you understand? I'm no longer my own. I can't say, okay, this is the next kayak I'm going to buy. This is the next bike I'm going to get. This is the next, this is the next. I can't do that anymore because I don't have any money. All of my money belongs to Jesus. He's in charge of it. He says where it goes. He says what I do. I'm his servant. I'm his bond servant. So now when I get up in the morning, I say, Master, what would you have me do? What do you want me to say? What message do you want to go forth today? Sometimes he leaves it just as it's been scheduled. And other times he says, no, lay that aside. This is the message you're to give. And in just a few minutes, he'll lay the whole message out. And it's the one given. And it convicts people's hearts and God gets the glory. Do you understand the lifestyle I'm speaking about? Where we give up our American lifestyle. We give up the lifestyle of the far city. We give up the rebellion. We give up the bitterness. We give up the rancor. We give up the anger. We give up the right to be rude. You come up to the the clerk at Sam's, and somebody ahead of you is just really taking time, and you don't have time, and you start giving them a dirty look, And you start, now come on. You start commiserating with the person behind you. You I wish they'd get more clerks out here. This royalty needs to be served. Hey, I'm somebody. Treat me according to my status. Prodigal son. Living it up in the big city. Come to my senses. Recognize I'm nobody. Jesus is everybody. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is master. I'm here to walk humbly before God. Come to my senses. Get out of this pig pen of pride. Get out of this pig pen of having it my way. Get out of this pig pen of arguing and fighting and squabbling. You need rescuing tonight? 
the blood of Jesus Christ covers you. If you'll just head for home. If you don't head for home, the famine will get worse. But I'll tell you what terrifies me the most. That the famine will never get worse. And I'll learn how to cope in the far city. And I'll never have Jesus as my Lord and as my master. I'll just have him as my mascot. Have him as my rabbit foot I carry around in my pocket. Have him as my lap dog. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. That's the Jesus of the far city. The Jesus of Scripture says, I am the king. I'm the Lord. I'm the master. And you're the servant. Come and humble your heart. Walk in accord with my word. How is your heart tonight? Are you willing to change your schedule to be in the house of the Lord? Are you willing to change your schedule and let things drop off, believing that Jesus Christ is your provision in order to do the work of the kingdom of God? Are you willing to turn away from the husks of the pig and head for the banquet table of the Lord Jesus Christ? You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Able to keep you from falling and to present you.